So hello and welcome to the Cranocast. My name is Rich. I'm the community archaeologist here at the Scottish Cranock Centre. And today we have the wonderful Dylan. Dylan, if you want to introduce yourself. Hello. Um, so I'm Dylan. I am the learning officer here at the Cranock. Um, so I deal with all sorts of educational, st- um, there's more educational side of things. Um, and I've spoken on the podcast once before about the Balakula Stricter, so you might recognise me from then. Um, but we're going to be talking about something slightly different today, I think. Yes, yes. and we're on a video podcast, so you can put a face yeah. to a name. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so today, basically, we're on the, today as a date, I believe it is the 10th today, which is the Friday, and tomorrow we are going to be opening um, yes. for the first time in 2023. Um, so what we do is when we reopen, we usually reopen around this time as a, as a museum, and it, that coincides very closely, usually, with Valentine's Day. Um, so next Tuesday, I believe, Friday the 14th, the Friday the 14th, Tuesday the 14th, get it right, is Valentine's Day. And we usually have some sort of event built around Valentine's Day. And then what we tend to do is kind of make the activities of that event that we deliver as a museum go through the week. Um, this year, um, we are still doing the same thing, mm-hmm. but we are taking a slightly different, slightly different connection to it. Um, and that's Dylan, that's where you come in with the work that we've been doing and how we've been planning it. So the whole theme for the event in February from, uh, I think it's the 11th and the 12th, and then we're going to be open Wednesday to Sunday, doing the uh, now until uh, we go through. And the theme is connections. Yes. So Dylan, if you want to take us through what what uh-huh. what what the plan for the event is, and then we'll chat a little bit about connections yeah. in the Iron Age. So, um, where we started thinking about it was, we've got Valentine's Day coming up, and we're not open on Valentine's Day itself, um, which is not a problem, but it would be strange to do a Valentine's Day event without having that opening. Um, but then, thinking about the themes of Valentine's Day as well, a lot of them don't necessarily fit into the Iron Age, or Valentine's Day as we celebrate it today, no. doesn't fit into the Iron Age, but certainly the themes of Valentine's mm-hmm. Day are very much applicable. So when we think of things like connections, and this was really where we started running with the, the idea of, of this event, was um, when we think about love and what you need to have established in order to love something, um, having a connection with it is really important. Having a respect for it and a devotion for it is really important. And this doesn't matter what kind of love it is, whether it's romantic, whether it's um, between friends, whether it's familial, whether it's a love of landscape, whether it's love of a pet, whether it's love of a food, you have to have a connection with it. You have to have something established there. Yeah. Um, so this is really where we began thinking about um, how we could run that as an event so we've got lots of different things on this weekend and over the the week when we open after the tuesday um so from wednesday to thursday uh, no sorry wednesday to sunday yeah um we're gonna have um different things running on site trying to create that connection trying to bring that theme through so we're going to encourage people coming in to make connections between themselves on the tours which sometimes does happen mm-hmm. um but we want to try and find a way to to kind of integrate that in so hopefully people will be invited to interact with one another so if you've got two different groups of people sometimes on tours they tend to, they tend to stay quite separated mm. but we want them to meld together we want them to yeah. establish connections with one another mm-hmm. and then we want them to establish connections as well with the people who lived on our Cranach, people who lived two and a half thousand years ago in the iron age we want them to create a connection with us and what we do here 
um, as well as the environment. So we want to bring sustainability into the event a little bit as well. So we've got lots of different ways of coming at this um, theme of connectivity. And then finally, we want to encourage them to make a connection with um, us going forward into the future. So we want to give them a way that they can come to Delerb and feel like they've got an established connection with it before we've even opened up over on our new site. So we've got um, a lot of different things going on, hopefully. Um, Lots. This law come through. Lots. Yeah, and I think the big thing is is that we are, and I've said this on the past on the, on the, on the podcast, and I've, I've said it all the tours and to many, many people, that we're, we're not their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we don't know what they would have celebrated this time of year. We mm-hmm. aren't sure on that. Um, but what what we're doing and what you're talking about doing is basically bringing it back to a, just a real human level. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there is a need for connectivity in yeah. that sense. So we'll just we'll just run through some of them, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, if we're, if we're talking about connections in the Iron Age, as somebody that lives on a Cranog, what sort of connection mm. do you need to... to sustain existence on the mm. So when we think about connections in the past, there are a lot of different ways to approach that. But when we think specifically about people living in a Kranog in terms of their daily life, first and foremost, their connections are with one another. Um, so there is this uh, total entanglement between people in the Iron Age. They're all so directly related on are so directly sort of dependent on one another um, that if someone's not really playing the game, it slightly messes things up. It makes life yeah. harder for everyone. So everyone is deeply connected. And when we think about the Cranog itself, building a Cranog would take an entire community, if not much wider than a single community, to actually construct and to build. And yeah. it's not just the, the, the people power that you need. You yeah. need to have... Um, the people who are supplying all of the uh, the metal for the tools to chop down the trees. You need people who have the expertise to um, actually construct and build it. There's a lot of knowledge here and there's lots of craft. Mm. Um, and, you know, you're not going to be out, well, I don't know, maybe you would be out, you know, at a tree, not wearing any clothes, but you probably would be. <laughs> um, you need someone to, you know, clothe you. You, yeah. you need to be warm when you're out working. Um, especially if you're in a wall in the water, you want to keep yeah. warm. That means someone has to make your clothes. And if someone's going to make your clothes, um, they need to have wool, which means they need to have access to someone who farms or they need yeah. to be part of a farming community. Yeah. Um, and those people, everyone needs to eat, yeah. which comes in. Yeah, you can, it, it all kind of snowballs. Everyone is yeah. so connected with one another in the Iron Age and in the past. And, um, and still, you know, it's no different now. It's just those connections are slightly less visible to us so yeah. where we all get our kind of so talking about textiles um we all get our clothes from supermarkets from um the shops, shops online now mm, more yeah. than anything else yeah um and it does a lot to obscure the connections that you might have with the people who produced your clothing um you don't know yeah. who made your jumper who made your jacket who made your jeans um and there are a lot of different people there are a lot yeah. of different hands going into producing these things um but that's totally, we're sort of removed from it. We've been disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those connections still exist, but yeah, they're much more obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas 
in the Iron Age, you would know likely the person who yeah. spun your wool, exactly. who wove your uh, your tunic up, who dyed it. Um, you would know where they, they bought the stuff. But again, this kind of it gets so much wider than a single community because you're relying on trade as well. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of dye plants, um, so wood, madder, your reds and your blues, if you want those kind of colours, it's much harder to make. You're going to get those from further afield, from mm-hmm. um, places where those plants grow much more readily than they do in this part of Scotland. So mm-hmm. for your nice colours, you're trading for those and you might yeah. be trading something that your community has that another community yeah. doesn't and something that but, a commodity that's more... So that these connections, they, they travel much more widely than just your... And this is something that we know. Um, your connections are so, so wide throughout all of prehistory. They aren't isolated people necessarily. They are well connected into everything that's going on around them. Mm. I think exactly right is that even if, even if the, the item that is made, so be it a wonderful piece of textile, made here at the Cranog by people two and a half thousand years ago, even if that was spun, weaved, woven, woven, woven. <laughs> spun, weaved and woven, um, and then it was dyed or it was dyed, whatever the process or order it mm-hmm. goes through, even if it was a finished product as a tunic, and then you put that on your log boat, sent it to the end of the lock, and then somebody picked it up there, and they transported it, and then they traded it, and then they trade it, and it passes on, and it mm-hmm. ends up, argument's sake, the other end of the country. Mm-hmm. The difference between today and back then is you still have the human connection in yeah. each of those processes. Mm-hmm. That has passed hands, and as those people have passed hands, there's been conversation, there's been the the um, connection. We keep using the word so much, yeah. but... Um, there's been a, there's been a, a an interface between individuals mm-hmm. at every single layer, and actually, that that means that there has to be more of a human contact between those people. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Is that today with some of these things we we don't we remove the human contact. Yeah, um, and it become even even in a shop, it's a case of you mm-hmm. know you pick it up, you stick it on, you have a briefest bit of contact, and then you're on your way. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of connections in the Iron Age, it's not just um, a different way of life it's mm. it's essential to that way of life yeah um, because you have to have those people con- connecting mm-hmm. um, just to make everything work in that simple way mm-hmm. um, and I think mentioned a little bit about um, connections to the landscape before yeah. as well mm-hmm. I think for me that is something that, that within this this crown of culture that was here we have 167 different species of plants mm. found on our crowd. So that is, and I've been through the list, watch the tier list, it's not a tier list, but <laughs> watch the list, because uh, it does go through just, just how much can be provided by the mm-hmm. landscape that's mm-hmm. just up there. And walking away from plants, you know, the, the iron that's needed, the iron ore is in the landscape, mm-hmm. um, the water itself, all of these are given to these people, and these people are living off their immediate landscape. So this mm-hmm. isn't a case of, well, you know, again, we are just removed from, from what the landscape provides us. Mm-hmm. But actually back then, that connectivity to the landscape, it must be deep, it has to be deep. Cause, yeah. Because it's, it's your absolute fabric of everything. Mm. Um, and we did, a, we did a, a, an online workshop the other day, mm-hmm. and we were talking about woodwork, and how the skill of woodwork was just embedded throughout pretty much every single thing we talked about. It was building the crown it was 
if you're weaving your textiles, you had to have the loom made. If you were, you know, traveling down a lock, you had to have the log boat made. Mm -hmm. If you were um, even wanting to stay warm, you had to, you know, have fire. And it's this, this actual provision mm -hmm. of especially timber and wood for a Cranog dweller of Lotte that lived on a building entirely made of timber, not a single metal nail mm -hmm. or screw in it, then actually there must be, I think it's fair to say, we don't know, we're not learning in their culture, but there must be quite a deep connection mm. to that material because it is an absolute lifeline um, yeah. for everything they do, whether it's heat or or, mm. or shelter or, or, you know, your bowls to everything. Yeah. Wood is that, that key material. And when you think about um, this time of year as well, um, it's particularly important in terms of wood because this is when your wood harvest is coming in. All of your coppicing, you're doing that over the winter. Um, so it would have been, if you were so quite so dependent on wood as a material and as a source of heat, as a source of fuel, um, something that's absolutely integral to your way of life, this would have been a really important part of the year, mm. just because it's when all of this material is being brought in mm -hmm. from the coppice woods um, and probably the entire community or probably a good chunk of the community mm. would have been involved in some way yeah. in bringing that down and into the community. Um, and at this time of year as well, even going beyond wood, is that we're coming to the end of the winter now. It's starting to get slightly warmer. Yeah. Um, in the Iron Age, there is no out-of-season food. You only have what is growing in your landscape, yeah. what you can preserve or what you can dry <laughs> and keep. Um, it's yeah, cool. um, it's they would have felt probably a very keen connection to that seasonal aspect of things, to being part of a landscape, and you would be looking very much forward. I think after a long winter, a long cold winter, where nothing new is really growing since the harvest time, you'll have bits and pieces, but you're really your food supply and what you've managed to preserve over the winter is starting to dwindle. You're not necessarily You've got the harvest, which is a wonderful time of year because you've got all these different foods. It's probably when you're eating the best mm. and when you've got the best variety of food. Yeah. Um, but by the end of the winter, you would probably have partially or quite, you know, largely depleted that um, mm. food source. Yeah. So you would be very, very keenly at this time of year looking towards um, spring and when it gets warmer, when you've got yeah. all of your plants coming out and when you're going to be able to start. Um, they would have been looking for the signs of it as well because you need to know when is it the right time to go out and harvest something. Yeah. When is it the right time to go and start planting yeah. your uh, for your um, farmland? And, and when are you bringing your animals out to Cranog and starting to drive them up into the hills to the shillings? There's such a... They, are, they would have been so keenly connected to what the landscape was giving them and what yeah. they could take from the landscape. And those, those changes in the landscape as well and, and, and kind of not just understanding them but, but reading them as you go through. Because again... We're we're a, we're a, we're a very very firmly rooted myself, especially with my little diary, on what week we're in, what yeah. day we're in, even down to the point of the financial week with our financial year. But actually, for them, get rid of the get rid of the nine to five, get mm -hmm. rid of the seven days a week, get rid of the twelve months a year, and you've got an annual life because that's you know the year is the cycle mm -hmm. as it goes through, and you're starting to read those those markets so for instance we are in february and next month usually um so march end of march in this area uh, especially around here we get the wild garlic yeah through. and that's mm -hmm. the first plant that that 
sprouts really it comes up and it mm. comes out the ground and it, it, it absolutely takes over mm. um, and I can't help but think you know wild garlic is an incredible source of iron it's mm-hmm. full of vitamins it, mm-hmm. you can eat it raw you literally just pick it and eat it you can it's got a very strong flavour um, and in fact at, at that bit in March I can't but help think that if you're if you're starting to see that come through the mm. ground that's the start of everything coming back yeah and not just the start of everything coming back but actually it's what you need at that time of year that, that everything you need mm-hmm. and, and again reading those things um, I tell the story and I think I might have told it before but I'll tell it again because I like it about uh, <laughs> the gentleman that came here who was he was collecting birch water so he, he tapped mm. birch sap mm-hmm. um, and he said he used to do it and if you follow it you follow it on a calendar and there's a certain time of year for the life of me I can never remember what time of year it is um, but what he said he started doing he's in his local forest instead of going, right, well, it's the third week of this month, so that's when I collect it because it's, the sap should have been risen and it should be perfect for mm-hmm. the tapping. Because, obviously, the environment's different, the heats are different, the temperature's different, he, he binned off the idea of using the calendar, and what mm-hmm. he did is he, before midsummer, so before the longest day, if I remember it right, and then after the frogs have spawned nearby, yeah. mm-hmm. because that was the perfect time, and it was using the landscape and being deeply connected with what is going on in mm-hmm. the landscape out there, he could start to maximise what he could do. Yeah. And I cannot but help think that INH people must have been, well, I think they have to have been deeply mm. connected to the landscape around them. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the seasonality of that landscape is, is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing, just, to, just to, to kind of wrap this up, I think, you know, the Cranog itself, um, the buildings as you build them, whether they're, stone structures out on the water, whether they're um, like we have here at, at, at Loch Tay, mm-hmm. the, the timber structures lifted above the water, um, they are a community building, I think. Yeah. The archaeology shows all these different people involved, all those people have to be connected. I think we talk about a family unit, we talk about whoever lived on the building, but then there's so many different skills, there's a whole connection of a Cranog community that's invested in this building. Mm-hmm. But... The actual structure itself, it absolutely stands out as a building that is built to connect people. Mm-hmm. You're not building your, your roundhouse up on the side of a hill, hidden away in the forests, as it is. You're building it out on the water. It's visible. Mm-hmm. In fact, the interconnectivity between Cranogs would have been vast. You know, mm-hmm. from our, our Cranog at Oak Bank, we reckon you might have been able to send uh, two or three other Cranogs if, if they mm-hmm. were up at the same time. Um, so there is this kind of interconnectivity that you're really visual. Hmm. You're out on the water, so the boats that would have very easily been able to come and pull up. It seems like you're quite a, an advert in a way. I suppose that's yeah. a bad word to use, um, but but you're almost advertising yourself mm-hmm. to be connected out there. Yeah, and even when we think about like where we're sat right now, you can't really see it with the camera, but right in front of us we've got Drummond Tell. On top of Drummond Tell we've got a hill fort. Mm-hmm. And sort of, you know, there's various interpretations of what Hillfort is, but I think one of the sort of current ways of thinking about them is that they weren't, Hillfort's maybe a bit of a misnomer, it's not necessarily, they weren't necessarily defensive, because a lot of them would have been absolutely useless as defence. But from the evidence that we do have, they're seasonally inhabited at certain times of the year, and these sort of, the seasonal pattern of um, habitation extends over a certain amount of time, over a certain amount of years. And when we think about these places less as shutting the outside world in, mm-hmm. but more as a way of inviting people in. Mm-hmm. So 
the Cranog, you can only get as many people in there. Yeah. There's not much room. But when you think of something that's on a hill, something that's very visible, even though you're going up to the hill, and even though it is up there and um, it's maybe a bit of a trek up, <laughs> it's still slightly more inviting and yeah. it's open and you can bring people in and bring them together. So when we think about these places, is, I think there is a tendency sometimes to view the, the past as quite cutthroat and brutal and certainly there were elements of that. But I think that we can't forget the human elements of this. Yeah. Um, we find very rarely in, you know, ancient epics that people who aren't warriors, people who are not willing to fight or rarely ever kind of, you know, held up as look at this person yeah. and how great they were because it doesn't make for a good story. No. Um, and I think that, yeah, we, it, it's good about, I think the, the good thing about approaching the Iron Age through the idea or the theme of connectivity and then what we're doing with our event is hopefully getting encouraging people to, to engage with that idea. It'll hopefully bring out the humanity of these people yeah. just a little bit more. Yeah. I think Chantal put it best, uh, we were discussing it before, is that we, we always talk about the past and the people involved in the past and the people end up either becoming characters mm -hmm. or almost fictional figures yeah. that are there. But there is a humanity and they are people. Mm -hmm. And I think the good thing about this event, which really want to try and get across and get people to just leave thinking about, I suppose, um, we won't solve everything, but no. thinking about <laughs> is is the the consistencies between humanities. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter mm -hmm. what culture you're in, doesn't matter where you are in the world. There are inevitabilities around what people need and what people do, mm -hmm. and there's a humanity around that. And I think connectivity and, and being able to create communities, people create communities. That's what they do. And I think that'd be a really great thing to be able to talk about next week and get people to come and think about and be part of mm -hmm. as it is as well. Yeah. And then more importantly than that, think on what they can do when they leave, you know, about just, just having a bit of a, a brain stretch around, you know, yeah. what, 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 what communities they're in. Mm. But then with the Lurb and our new build at the new museum going forward, it's about us building that community yeah. and heading forward. Mm. Wonderful. Mm. Fantastic. Anything you'd like to add, Dylan? Um, oh, I think I've maybe I've made my point. Oh, you've made. I'm point quite satisfied. You're happy. You're happy. Yeah. As long as you're yeah. happy, I'm happy. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> so we are open on the 11th of February. You can book online. Um, so I believe when this is going out, that would have been yesterday. Um, so feel free go onto our website. There's a book now button. You can book on there. You can book your tour. Do come and see us. We're running every hour on the hour um, from Wednesday to Sunday. I got it right this time. Wednesday to Sunday, and then we're going to be running those tours right the way through till March. And then from March, we're going to be open every day, and our tours are going to be running every 45 minutes. We're going to have Easter activities as well through our half term too, yes. which Dylan is getting all sorted now, I believe, yes. and prepped for. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got loads to see, loads to do. Do come and see us. And if you come and see us now, really great time to come and see us because we're starting the ball rolling mm -hmm. on getting the new museum uh, development at the Lerb going. So if you want to get involved, just get in touch with us. Um, just send an email into info at Cranog, I believe, but you can get that on the website and all sorts of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's me. Thank you for listening. And next week, who have we got next week, Chantel? Well, next well, week, we've got Maureen. We've got Maureen next week. So, yeah, definitely well worth listening next week to the magnificent Maureen um, because we're going to chat to Maureen about her experience volunteering 
and also we'll, we'll give you more information hopefully next week around how if you'd like to volunteer how you can get involved with the museum as well because there's going to be loads of opportunities well thank you for listening thumbs up thank you so much for listening <laughs>
By the time he did finally manage to land it, Panigus was exhausted and he lay back under a tree and he turned to Finn and said, can you cook the salmon for me, please, boy? But make sure you do not taste any of it. Finn readily agreed. He was excited to see Finnegus finally getting to eat this fish and then he would be able to answer all his questions. And so he took the fish up and roasted it over the campfire on a big steak. And he turned and turned and turned it. And the smell of this salmon cooking was the most delicious smell that you have ever experienced. Finn's mouth started to water and he really hoped that once Finnegus was done, it was a big fish. Maybe he would get to try just a little bit of it. Well, it was almost ready and a big blister of oil bubbled on its surface and suddenly went pop. It landed on his thumb. Ow! cried Finn. Hmm. And he put it in his, he put his thumb to his mouth mm, to cool it down. Whew, that was hot. He lifted the salmon down and put it onto a platter and then took it back down to the river where Finnegus was still resting underneath the tree. Finnegus looked up at Finn and his expression changed. Oh boy, what have you done? He said. What? said Finn. I've cooked the salmon for you. Have you eaten any of it? said Finnegus. No, said Finn. And then he explained what happened with the blister of oil and the fact that it splashed on his thumb. <sighs> Finnegus shook his head. I see. What a fool I have been. This salmon's knowledge was always meant for you, young Finn. I believe that all the knowledge and wisdom of the world was contained within that single drop that landed on your thumb. What? said Finn. Try putting your thumb in your mouth again, said Finn and Guess. And Finn picked up his thumb, put it in his mouth, and suddenly he knew the answer to every question that he could ever have asked. He knew what was happening now everywhere in the entire world. He knew what was going to happen everywhere in the entire world. He knew everything. He took his thumb back out of his mouth again. What? he said. Yes, said Finnegus. Sit down. I think maybe we should talk. And so they sat down and Finnegus told them the legend of a young man who would come forward to be the leader of the Fianna, the greatest fighting band of warriors that has ever been. And in the morning, Finn picked up his bag and went off into the world to seek out his fortune and become the great leader Finn McCool. But that's another story. I hope you've enjoyed the story. Um, like I say, I'm Cara from One Nature Stories. Um, find me on Facebook at One Nature Stories or on Instagram. And yeah, it'd be lovely to get in contact if you'd like to hear more tales.